In this series, we're exploring why people sometimes walk away from God and why I think they ought to consider coming back. Now, once upon a time, the most sophisticated civilization in the world, the Egyptians, worshipped the sun. Some centuries later, the most sophisticated civilization in the world became the Greeks. And the Greeks worshipped Zeus and a slew of other gods. Then the Roman Empire worshipped their version of those Greek gods, and they added their kings. They worshipped Caesars as gods. But not many people believe in those gods anymore. Throughout the centuries, people have continually quit believing in gods. Now, last week, I mentioned a certain group of intellectuals who began a movement that has aggressively attacked religion in our culture. They are often called the new atheists. And one of their leaders, scientist and author Richard Dawkins, wrote a book called The God Delusion. In it, he summed up this exodus from the gods. He wrote, we are all atheists about most of the gods that humanity has ever believed in. Some of us just go one god further. You see, new, new atheists say that we should walk away from all gods. They view God and religion as detrimental to our world. And I suspect that some of you or someone you know may have walked away from God. Whenever I talk to someone who has walked away from God or read about someone who has walked away from God, when I hear their description of what God is like, I find myself thinking, wow, if I thought God was like that, I would walk away too. And sometimes I just want to go, hey, wait a minute. Who told you God was like that? Where did you get that picture of God? Now, maybe, just maybe, you walked away from God unnecessarily because you may have walked away from a God who actually doesn't exist. Let me explain what I mean by that. Normally, people who grew up either Catholic or Presbyterian or Methodist or Baptist or Pentecostal, I find they don't normally walk away from Christianity per se. What they normally do is they walk away from a version of God or a view of God that came from their church experiences. And here's what often happens. It's like when they were kids, their parents made them go to church. And so a sort of certain view of God was enforced upon the kids, depending on what kind of church they went to. And then when they grew up and they could do what they want, they stopped going to church. And then as time went by, they started thinking, you know, I'm not even sure I believe anymore. And how you get to that place might vary. Maybe you ended up there <coughs> because you had some kind of childhood spiritual experience, but you faced a crushing life event that just destroyed your faith in God. Or maybe you prayed and you prayed and you prayed for someone or for something, and it just seemed like God never answered your prayers. Or maybe you started asking hard questions about your religion and about your God, but your parents or your pastor or your priest made you feel guilty for doing so. Or maybe you grew up with an angry, critical, judgmental set of parents. And so you just assumed that God was also angry, critical, and judgmental. 
And so, you just walked away. Earlier this year, a movie came out that tells the journey of one man who walked away from the God of his heritage. William Paul Young first published his book entitled The Shack in 2007. You guys familiar with that book? Anybody read the book? Okay. Since its release, the book has sold over 20 million copies. Now in movie form, The Shack unpacks Young's own wrestling with the God his parents presented to him as a child. So let me give you a little bit of his background. Young grew up in the late 50s and the early 60s on the tropical island of New Guinea, located near, uh, in between Australia and Southeast Asia. His parents served as Christian missionaries to a tribe of stone-aged farmers called the Dani. Young said that he and his father clashed frequently over religion. Whenever Young asked hard questions about the Christian faith, his father responded with physical violence against him. Young said, my dad's doctrinal framework about God, it was all punitive, so his relationship with me was the same. On top of the pain Young faced from his father, the Donnie tribesmen whom his family were there to serve uh, severely sexually abused him. When his parents sent him off to a boarding school for missionary kids, he faced further sexual abuse at the hands of the supposedly Christian people who ran it. So when Young became an adult, he walked away from the God of his heritage, his Christian faith. And so I, I want to say, if you're a person like Young, who felt compelled to walk away from the God you grew up with, I want you to know you're welcome here. City Church exists for you. This is a safe place of grace for you to ask your hardest questions about God and about Christianity. This is a church where we encourage people to get real about the gods that they you know, were taught about growing up, and then we invite them to consider the God that Jesus and his disciples actually presented. Now, I say, you know, face the gods that some of you grew up with because I believe some of us, maybe even many of us, grew up with versions of God that are actually distortions of who God is. And so I'm asking you to reconsider your vision of who God is because you may have walked away from a God who doesn't even exist. You may have walked away from a distorted picture of God. So today I want to unpack some of the distorted views of God that some of us grew up with, and then I want us to look at what Jesus and his disciples said God is really like. Are you ready? Here's the first distorted view of God. We'll call this one the bodyguard God. People with this view of God picture God, God like this. You know, the rock, right? <laughs> this is the God who doesn't allow bad things to happen to good people. But here's the problem. When we do experience bad and painful and unjust situations, people who view God this way, the bodyguard God, they either end up angry at God or they just walk away from him. In fact, very, very many bright people have abandoned the Christian faith and even God because of either personal pain and suffering, their own, or just the pain and suffering that they see in the world. 
And this distorted view of God is so significant, we will spend our whole message next week talking about it. And so you're not going to want to miss it. But let me just say briefly that neither Jesus nor any of his disciples ever said that a good God would keep bad things from happening to good people. Quite the opposite. If you would remember, our religion began with a terrible, horrific event, the crucifixion. And then the very first Christians and the first Christian leaders, they were all persecuted for what they believed. If Jesus' version of Christianity taught that God never allowed bad things to happen to good people, our religion never would have made it out of the first century. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so I propose to you that bodyguard God does not exist. It's a distorted view of God. A similar God to bodyguard God is on-demand God. On-demand God is the God who responds to our fair requests the way we want. Sometimes I call this God the name it, claim it God, right? So this is the God where if you have enough faith and you ask in the right way, you should always get what you want. You know, like God, if you're single, God, I'm not asking for you to change the world, but how about a decent date once in a while, right? Or God, the finances are really tight. How about you swing me a raise over this way? Those who believe in on-demand God were taught that God would answer every fair request according to their expectations. But when he doesn't, they end up thinking, God might not exist. That God might not exist. And you know what I want to say? Duh. That God doesn't exist. And so if you walked away from on-demand God, that's all right. That's not God. And anyway, if, if God did give us everything we ever asked for, I'd hate to think what he would have given me when I was 15 and 16. I'd be a mess today. Okay, you too, I can tell. Okay. All I'm trying to say is that on-demand God does not exist. It's a distorted view of God. Another distorted view of God is boyfriend God. Or you could call it girlfriend God. Boyfriend God is the God whose presence you feel. You know, it's like the ooey-gooey feelings you have when you first start dating someone. And it's like you, you want to feel that all the time, right? And so sometimes uh, we actually have had some kind of ooey-gooey feelings in our relationship with God. And sometimes we've been taught to think that we should always feel that because God's presence is always with us. And so how do you know God is, God's presence is with you? Because you have that ooey-gooey feeling. And maybe some of us did have ooey-gooey feelings. In church services, you know, maybe at youth camps, maybe in meaningful meditations. And you might have ended up believing that if you don't feel that ooey-gooey feeling of God, well, then where is he? How do I know he's even there? And perhaps you even had spiritual leaders who led you to believe that you should always experience that ooey-gooey feeling as a tangible sign of God's presence. And so here's what you do. You go from church to church looking for your next buzz. And you're desperately trying to get your fix. Or you go through seasons where you don't feel God's presence at all. And so you start to wonder, if I don't feel God's presence, he might not be present. Who said you ought to always feel God's presence? Jesus never said that. Did you know that one of the great spiritual giants of the last century, <coughs> Mother Teresa, 
confessed that she often went for many months, even years, without sensing God's presence. And I'd like to suggest, if she went for long seasons without sensing God's presence, you and I might as well. And so I want to say that if you walked away from boyfriend God because you never could get your next spiritual buzz, well then, good thing. I don't think boyfriend God exists. It's a distorted view of God. Now, the next version of God, we, we run from the quickest. And it takes the longest to detox from this view of God. This God haunts us in our childhood, in our teen years, and it follows us right into adulthood until many people finally just walk away from this God. And I'm talking about shame God. Shame God motivates through false guilt and bogus fear. <laughs> now, true guilt is different from shame. True guilt occurs when we feel bad about something wrong we have done. And true guilt serves a purpose for us to get right with God and to get right with others. So true guilt is redemptive. Shame is not. Shame God tries to control you through false guilt and bogus fear. So if it's enjoyable, shame God says, can't do it. And if it's sexual and enjoyable, naughty, 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 right? Shame God loves you, but doesn't really like you. And then you may have had parents or teachers or pastors or priests who shamed you into doing things. And so whenever you think of authority figures like God, you just can't get away from seeing those shaming authority figures' faces on the face of God. And so you eventually just walk away from shame, God. And that's okay. I give you permission. Because shame, God, does not exist. Now the next distorted God that some people have walked away from is anti-science God. This is the God who forces you to choose between science and religion. This God says that when science and religion collide, your religious beliefs must outweigh even scientific fact. This God asks you to check your brain at the door when you come to church, all in the name of faith. This God says, quit thinking, quit asking all of those hard questions, and just believe. Well, I want you to know Jesus never asked people to quit thinking. He never asked people to deny observable science. So if you felt forced out of your faith because you felt like science and Christianity were in conflict, then you likely walked away from God for no reason. Now last week I shared the story. I hope you're here. Last week I shared the story of a man who was an atheist, a scientist, he's a five-time Nobel Prize nominee in, in chemistry who became a Christian because of reason and science. His name is Dr. Henry Schaefer. He wrote a book called Christianity and Science, Conflict or Coherence. And if this is the God that you're struggling with, you want to know, can I believe in science and believe in God? That's the book to read. And like I said last week, it's pretty sciencey, so you have to put on your science hat when you read it, right? But I think you'll find that Jesus never expected his followers to choose between Christianity and science. So if you walked away from anti-science God, that's okay, because he doesn't exist either. Now the final distorted God you may have walked away from is angry God. 
Angry God hovers over you waiting to smack you when you get out of line. Angry God motivates through intimidation. You may have learned about angry God from an angry parent who beat you but called it loving discipline. You may have learned about angry God from an angry nun who would smack your hand with a ruler when you went to school. You may have learned about angry God from an angry coach who would curse you during practice but then lead a prayer right before the game. Mm, You had that coach too. Mm. (laughs) Angry God is perhaps the most distorted view of God out there. And folks, these gods are not God. You should walk away from them. Now, William Paul Young, who I mentioned earlier, admittedly struggled with distorted views of God (laughs) like these. And about that struggle, he said, and this is such a great quote, he said, it took me 50 years to wipe the face of my own father off the face of God. For most of his life, Young hid his painful relationship with his father and all of the sexual abuse he had faced, deep within a wounded heart. And that's what the metaphor of the shack represents. Young stated, the shack is the house on the inside where you store your identity, addictions, and secrets. I dealt with my shame and my pain by creating an identity and facade for myself. But the facade has to come down eventually. And we have to find out God loves us. He loves what's in the shack, not just the presentation of it. Young said that he wrote the book, The Shack. The whole reason he wrote the book was to answer the most fundamental question of all, which is, who is God? So just who is God? According to Jesus and his disciples. Well, one day Jesus had a conversation with a Samaritan woman by a water well. And they came from different religious heritages. And so the woman asked Jesus a religious question that was often debated among Jews and Samaritans about where is the right place to worship? I mean, the really right place to, to worship. Where is it? And what's interesting is when Jesus responded to her question, he didn't respond with a where answer. He responded with a who answer. This is John 4, verses 23 through 24. Jesus said, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus said worshiping God is not about where because God is spirit. God is by nature a spirit being. God is invisible, immaterial, and not bound by time or space. That's why the followers of the Jewish religion and Christian religion throughout the ages did not allow their followers to depict God with either an idol or an image. Why? Because God is spirit. Now, this idea flew in the face of all of the other religions of that day. They all had idols. They had temples. They had, some of them had even <coughs> household idols, family idols. And many of these, uh, these idols, you know, they were, they were developed around their own family unit. And so when Jesus affirmed what Jewish believers had taught from the beginning, that God is spirit, 
It set our God apart from all the others. And here's what's cool about that. What Jesus says fits with what modern day people would expect. You see, we learned from science that there was a singularity, a phenomenal event, a big bang, if you will, and that all time, space, matter, and all natural laws, they had a beginning. And scientists call what began it all a first cause. Now, Jesus' disciples teach that an uncreated creator was the first cause behind the beginning of the universe as we know it. What is material was made by one who is immaterial. God being spirit also impacts us on a more personal level because it motivates us to get in touch with our spiritual selves. God wants us to become a people who worship him, according to Jesus, in spirit and in truth. And, and so, folks, that's why we are so committed at City Church to worship, and we take our worship seriously, because that, what Jesus said is that's the kind of people the Father is seeking, those who will worship from their spirit, from the deepest part of our being, from the depths of our hearts. And, this is cool, even though God is immaterial and invisible and almighty, Jesus depicts God as wanting to have an intimate relationship with us because he tells us to call him our father. How cool is that? God is spirit. A second characteristic we learn from one of Jesus' closest disciples, his name is John. This is 1 John chapter 1, uh, verse 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So here John tells us that God is light. And in the scriptures, light serves as a metaphor depicting God's purity, his perfection, and his holiness. Light is not only pure, but it reveals and exposes what is hidden in darkness. God's light exposes and confronts sin in our lives. And God does this not because he's an angry God who wants to smack us. He does this because he's a loving father who wants to protect us from the pain and the damage that sin brings into our lives. I think that God being light is why Jesus taught us to pray to our father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Because this was such a critical part of our relationship with our father. Forgiveness brings God's light into the dark places within us and the light purifies our souls. Folks, purity matters. It matters to God because it is who he is. And so it ought to matter, matter to us. God is spirit. God is light. And then finally, God is love. This is from 1 John, just a little later in the same letter. Dear friends, let us love one another, <coughs> for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because what? God is love. God is love. And now when John wrote these words, you have to understand 
how dramatically different this would have been from what he was raised with because he was raised as a good Jewish boy. And as a Jewish boy, he believed that God loved the Jewish people and sort of tolerated everybody else. In fact, that, that feeling, that sense, it's hard for us to get this, but that is the way they believe. It was so strong, a Jewish person was not allowed to eat in the home of a non-Jewish person. But when Jesus came and taught this love that was open to all people, not just to Jewish people, he was teaching it as, as something that flows from the very nature of who God is. He is love. And Jesus taught people not only to love, and this is what's so different, he taught people to not only love their friends, but to love your enemies, right? And Jesus taught us to pray for people who have hurt us. That's radical love, right? And Jesus taught us to forgive people who have wronged us. That's love. And Jesus taught us that real love gives. Real love takes the initiative to provide for what others need. And that's why Jesus said God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that all who would believe in him could have eternal life. That is love and God is love. And you know what that means? It means that no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, God loves you. If you aren't even sure you even believe in God, God loves you. If you have walked away from God, or at least some distorted view of God, God loves you. And if you will turn and walk toward this spirit God of light and love, if if you will do that, he will embrace you, he will restore you, and he will give you peace. Now, the Shack author, William Paul Young, spent 50 years living in the facade of a shack, desperately trying to wipe the face of his angry father off of the face of God. The facade eventually came down in a spectacular way when his wife, Kim, discovered he was having an affair with her best friend. As Kim proceeded to ransack his office in anger, Young said he had to decide whether to kill himself or to drive across town and face her. He chose the latter. He went to her and said, if we're going to get through this, then I have to tell you every secret that I've been holding on to. And she said, bring it. And for the next four days, Young told her about his father's violence and all of his sexual abuse. She was the very first person he had ever told all of these secrets to. Young is adamant that he had no right to use his traumatic past as an excuse for why he betrayed his wife. But he also knew that he had to face the pain of his past to move beyond it and to live with hope for the future. Through a long, hard process, he experienced what he called a deep healing within his soul. His marriage survived all of the, <clears throat> the turmoil, and he is still happily married to his wife, Kim. He also reconciled somewhat with his father. But above all, he came to a place of peace with himself, a peace with what had happened to him, and a peace with the God who allowed it all to happen, but was with him through it all. And that's my prayer for you. I hope that you can discard 
the distorted views of God that may have come into your life, however they got there. And I hope, if you have walked away from God, I hope that you will turn and you will walk toward the spirit God who is light and is love. And he can heal your soul. That's the God we believe in here at City Church. Because that's the God that Jesus taught us about. And I hope you will believe too. Uh, Let's pray. And as we go before this loving Father, in prayer, I want to ask you a question. Whose face do you need to wipe off of the face of God? And there may be more than one. Maybe it was a a parent, maybe it was a grandparent, maybe it was a religious leader like myself, maybe it was a school leader of some kind, I don't know. The first thing I encourage you to do is just to remove that face, whatever face you're seeing, from the face of God and let God be who God is to you and for you. And so Lord God, we come in your presence today and It is so humbling to know that the God who is spirit, the God who created the universe, created all matter, all time, all space, loves us and invites us to call him Father. Lord, Father God, you've invited us to call you our Father. What an awesome, awesome invitation. And so Father God, we call you Father today. And my prayer is that we can all embrace who you really are and that we can walk with you and no longer walk away from you. And my prayer is that you would reveal yourself more and more to us. And then, Father God, we want to pray to you today. And if you know the Lord's Prayer, or some of you may call it our Father, would you pray that prayer with me out loud? If you don't know it, just let us pray it for you. Are you ready? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.